Hello, welcome back to the Tier 1 podcast. Thank you again for joining us. Today, our guest is Tomo Svetic. Tomo uh, is based in the UK and runs Artemis Hunting uh, between the UK and Croatia. Artemis Hunting runs guided mountain hunts in Europe and Mid-Asia. Um, very cool company. Some of the uh, exciting species you can go after with Artemis are things like Balkan chamois, uh, mouflon sheep, and uh, deer and driven boar hunts. We cover uh, a load of that in our chat today, uh, which is very exciting, and uh, I'm sure that it will get you revved up for a mountain hunt, as it did me. Uh, so, uh, yeah, without any further ado, please enjoy this chat with Tomo Svetic. <laughs> so you've been uh, you've been up in the mountains today. Have you been hunting? No, actually, I just went with uh, my team members to just to observe a few feeding stations that we have and okay. uh, to set up new cameras to see what's going on and so on because some of our grounds are part of some um, wildlife conservancy projects. So yeah. we are very careful where we are hunting, what we do and so on. Yeah. And so you, you're setting up feeding stations, is that so you have a predictable location for the, for the, for the animals? Yes, I mean, uh, most of the feeding stations we use just to see and observe on a regular basis what we have. Yeah. And of course, I mean, in animals are quite seasonal and they, they migrate vertically or horizontally in the mountains, so it's... Um, always interesting to see what, what what's going on and especially when you have large predators like we have uh, wolves and uh, bears and lynx right so, uh, that's very cool I didn't I didn't realize you had wolves I saw that you do you run bear hunts um, yeah. But yeah the wolves that's uh, they're they're incredible animals I've seen I've seen them uh, like up close at the zoo and uh, yeah they're massive. They're massive. They're incredible, very, very smart animals. And it's, it's amazing how they function as a, you know, it's like a little society in the group. And they, they I mean, it's here all the way. And it's unbelievable. Even yeah. humans can't do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, they coordinate very well, don't they? They hunt together very yes, well. Yes, they do. Yeah, they they do everything, and they, it's uh, it's unbelievable. But of course, uh, for some reason, they are banned to hunt, even though we have too many. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, they banned them uh, last time in 2013, and of course, because they don't have natural predators, the number is yeah is going up all the time, and of course. Few of them are killed by cars or trains. Yeah. Uh, there must be yeah. some illegal uh, or poaching, but that's all. That's all. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's funny. Crazy. Do you know why? Do you know why you're not allowed to hunt them? Do you know what the reason is? Uh, it's it's EU, and uh, like most of EU countries, there is always group of. Uh, animal rights activists or yeah. uh, whatever, love of nature, whatever they call themselves. Yeah. 
sofa warriors. I mean, they don't have a clue what's going on. No. But they are, uh, they get money from different um, different uh, sponsors and so on, and they do what they do. They have yeah. really good uh, lobbying, yeah. and also they are supported by media. Yeah. And we are the bad bad guys, yeah. I mean, which is unfortunately it's it is the way it is. Mm. It's very difficult. Yeah, it's a problem, obviously, that's worldwide. There is a perception, isn't there, around hunting that it is inherently bad. Um, and you've got to kind of prove why you should be doing it. And, you know, the, it's weird. Um, it's not viewed as this exactly. natural thing that we've done for millennia. And that, that has benefit on these ecosystems. It's viewed as inherently just bad. Definitely. I mean, the thing is, we are happy to have wolves, but not in this number. And uh, yeah. the, the only yeah. problem now is when they banned uh, wolf hunting, many, uh, not many, but some of them are taken legally, and we can't keep track what's going on. How many yeah. actually we have, yeah. or how yeah. many is uh, yeah. somebody killed. So the, this is the problem. On long run, uh, it's it's really bad situation for wolf populations mm. yeah so, i can see that they get out of control and then uh they also don't get tracked so conservation efforts are hindered by exactly. that on some occasions uh they, they they do lots of damage on farming animals like sheep for example goats even mm. cows and mm. uh, horses and of course farmers they can't ask for support from us because we are not allowed hunt them but in uh, our on our grounds what we do we try to to get them off and uh, in many ways just be active there and that they will move but yeah. some of the farmers they took uh, the law in their own hands and they poisoned them which is really bad because when you poison wolf and then you have vultures bears the wild boar they all eat uh, whatever is left over in the nature yeah. And uh, they got killed because of poison. I mean, it's just mess, but yeah. it is the way the EU, at mm. least. Yeah, it's it's yeah. They're not really seeing the depth of the problem. They're just seeing the surface yeah. and, and the lobbying, like you said. Yeah. If you are if you're hunting um, game, do you have to be aware of the wolves? Is that something you have to take into account um, when you're because you you do guided hunts, don't you? Yes, so I if do. You're, if you're taking a customer, a client out, do you have to take consideration of the wolves or do they leave you of alone? No, no, I have to consider wolves as well because sometimes you observe, I don't know, for example, mouflon or red yeah. deer in one area and everything looks great and everything is ready uh, for your client to come and hunt. However, just overnight you could have, I don't know, a pack of wolves and they scare the animals you go yeah. there and it's empty and you can't find anything and you are thinking what the hell has happened here yeah um that of course and also when we because we are managing grounds and we should know approximately how many animals of each species we have and so on what is taken by hunters what by predators because if you have quota for 10 animals and you kill, for example, predators, they kill five. You can't kill more than five. Right. Because they are considered 
skills and that that's fine it works like that and it should be like that uh, so yeah you have to have in consideration all the predators mm. Mm. yeah clearly it's something to and and for your own personal safety i suppose as well with the bears especially i mean i don't know how aggressive brown, is it brown bear that you hunt yeah we have brown bears here european eurasian brown bear and okay. um very nice big population of bears actually and right. in some areas too many of them but again everything is um, um all the animals uh, considered to be hunted. You have a limited number of tags every year for each ground and um, no, I mean that program, that project with bears it's working for centuries here. Yeah. So that's why we have plenty and despite hunting and so on, we have always more and more. Yeah. Which is nice. Which mm. is nice. Yeah. So you're you're based in Croatia, right? That's where Artemis Hunting is based. Actually, Artemis Hunting is based in England, and okay. I'm based there. But because of my job uh, hunting abroad, mostly with clients, I'm I spend more time abroad than in England. Right. Um, right. But yeah, the business is registered and uh, set up in uh, in England. Most of my clients are from UK and from the rest of europe so yeah yeah so for so for anybody listening in who's not uh familiar with artemis hunting then could you uh could you give us like a background like a background on yourself so how did you uh get into hunting if you've been doing it your whole life and then how did that um, develop into artemis yeah i mean the thing uh, is that i grew up in a family of hunters and my grand grandfather was hunter and grandfather, my father. So it was just probably natural environment for me to see that going hunting. And uh, I had the, the same urge to go outside, outdoors with him or alone when I was really little kid. So for me, hunting was something, it was part of me and uh, that's how I grew up. Yeah. But Artemis hunting, I started when I actually moved to England. Right. Before that, uh, yeah, when I moved to England, I was 29, and um, I lived before that in uh, in Croatia, and I was hunting legally for since I was 18. And when I moved to England, I missed hunting, uh, so I started um, looking in London for shooting magazines, hunting magazines. I found shooting sports uh, by Pete Moore and there was an advert uh, hunting in Croatia and uh, that was the point where I was thinking, my God, I could do this. I yeah. know what they do, but I could do this better because I was doing some guiding for other agencies in Europe okay. as a student and uh, as a part-time job. So a friend of mine, Mike, Bruce and uh, the other one, Dave Barrett, they, they just said, Thomas, just do it. England is a um, country of opportunities, and if you have some ideas, why not? Try. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I started my business. Cool. That's really cool. And how long has that been running now? 
15 years. Oh, wow. Fantastic. Yeah. And is it, is it currently, is it, uh, is it just you or do you have a team? I have teams. Uh, I have one in Slovenia. I have two in Croatia and one in Kyrgyzstan. Yep. The rest of the guys I'm cooperating with are in uh, some African countries, in Argentina and uh, mid-Asia. Okay, that's the expansion plan. Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> Very. So, in terms of, uh, there's definitely some stuff I've seen on the website that I want to talk about. I want to get to that. But just to give everyone who's listening a background on it, you, you, if I'm looking at it now, you hunt a real range of, of species. So you've got Balkan chamois, brown bear, fallow deer, mouflon sheep, red deer, roe deer, wild boar. Um, are there others there that are not on the, on the website that you hunt? Or is that it? Uh, Ibex, uh, Marco Polo sheep. Yes. That's uh, abroad and African species, uh, species in Argentina. It's, it's too many to basically put okay. there on the website. Okay. Yeah. And it, it confuses people anyway. Yeah. Uh, most of my clients basically they come because of word of mouth and uh, I'm quite well known between agents in, in the States and here in Europe. So lots of agencies they're asking my, my services. Yep. to help them to get something for their clients so yeah it's yeah. good what do you what do you uh what do you hunt the most of what do you find is is most in demand it depends from year to year but normally the most demand is on uh, driven boar okay okay yeah because the thing is driven boar is um it's not just hunt it's it's more shooting where you have a group of people uh, from different backgrounds, lots of businessmen, and for them it's uh, having great time, networking, everything, socializing yeah. for two, three, four days, yeah. having great time and shooting plenty of pigs. Yeah, I've got to say the driven ball looks like one of the things that I would uh, really like to do. It's, um, it, looks, it looks like a good laugh, like you've just described it. Um, what is, uh, talk, can you talk me through like a typical driven boar hunt then? How, how, how does it work and, and how many boar are you likely to get? Now it depends. Uh, you can choose to shoot in open grounds uh, where you can't basically, uh, you can't guarantee basically the number. You okay. can okay. estimate roughly what the, you could have however you never know with nature and last minute everything can be changed and the other option is to shoot or hunt in semi-fenced or completely fenced areas they okay. are big they are not small but the outcome is very predictable and we know what we have the population density of population is much higher and normally people pay what they get in open ground, sometimes they pay and they don't get. Ah, but, okay. Yeah, so if you if you want a sure thing, and you're if you're taking someone on a on a hunt and you you definitely want them to get a load of boar, you've got to do fenced. Yeah, yeah. fenced or semi-fenced, but it has to be fenced has to be involved. Otherwise, 
again, nobody can guarantee. And if they guarantee your number, you know that there is a fence behind, but lots of people don't know that. I'm quite honest yeah. about everything yeah. I do to my people, and I, I hate myself bad surprises, so I always tell them exactly what to expect, where we go, what we hunt, and how. Yeah. And people like yeah. that. They like predictability. It's like uh, shooting pheasants or grouse. Uh, they don't want to go to areas where there is where the chance is really low that you, they will have chances. Of course. Yeah. So yeah, that's what they prepare. Yeah. So, so a driven boar hunt. If someone was gonna was gonna go on that, what sort of equipment would they need, and what sort of range are you shooting the the boar? I guess they're fairly so close range. Yeah, it is normally close range. It can be just a few meters or steps. Uh, oh, wow. And then up to, yeah, up to 120 meters, 150. But normally the ranges are between 20 and 70 meters. Right, right. Yeah, it's quite close range. So you need quite special um, uh, optic sight or no optics at all, because it's quite yeah. close range. Red dot works really well. Yeah. Um, or scopes with low magnification, one to five, one to six, something like that, with smaller objectives. That works really, really well. Um, but some people like myself, they're very good with open, um, open sights, mm -hmm. where you shoot instinctively like with a shotgun. and it mm -hmm. works really well. You need some practice, but uh, it's, it's great fun. Yeah, nice. And that's, is that all from a standing position, or are you seated in, a, in something? Uh, sometimes. It depends. I mean, if we are in semi-fence and fence areas, normally we have standing positions, which are 1.2 meters or like four feet uh, up in the air. Yeah. And you are there, based there, and... Uh, you shoot from that platform, which is not really wide, but it's, it's big enough to to cope with uh, for two hours, for example. That's fine. And then sometimes you're on the ground. You don't have elevated position, which is, again, it's cool. Sometimes you hear them and they're coming and you can't see them because of uh, uh, grass. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So you could just feel the ground rumbling. Exactly, and you can't fire a shot because you know they are there, but you don't see them clearly, oh. so you don't pull the trigger. Because sometimes dogs can be in between them, and uh, yeah. also if it's yeah. not clear target, there is a high chance that you might wound one or more. Yeah. So you don't shoot. Yeah. Yeah. But it's great fun always. That makes sense. What sort of caliber? Um, do you use for that? All sorts of, but uh, the most popular calibers here are 3006 8x57 and 9.3x62. Oh, yeah. um, you can see very often also 300 wind mug, yeah. Uh, yeah. which is also very good. Uh, sometimes it's too much, but again, uh, it's better to have more energy than less. Because sometimes you have a big bore and you you want to be prepared for anything. Yeah, if you have like, do, I mean, do you ever get that? Do you get like an aggressive bore that comes straight at you? 
Yeah, and, yeah. It, it, uh, it happens every year that uh, one or few guys are uh, attacked, but normally yeah. beaters because yeah. Yeah. Uh, our, our guests are in elevated position. But it happened once to Paul Kill. He was uh, he's from Corinium uh, Rifle Range, and uh, he was something. He shot one, and he was attacked by another big, uh, very big pilot. Um, it hit, kicked his leg, but um, he managed to kill and uh, defend himself. Yeah, but that was that was really cool. Uh, cool, <laughs> even though I mean, cool after. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, it's it's very scary actually, and it can be really deadly. Yeah, of course. So, yeah, they have tusks, don't they? These boars, they have proper tusks. Yeah, they, they are. They are. Yeah, they, they can take a bunch. Uh, that's for sure. I yeah. mean, you have Scandinavians sometimes coming with uh, six point five fifty five. Yeah. Um. Of course, you can kill, but the thing is to stop a big Kyla, you, you need more energy and right. uh, heavier bullets or, I mean, bigger, larger caliber, yeah. Uh, more yeah. diameter bullets, yeah. You need that stopping power. Yeah, that's, that's for sure. I guess it makes sense. It's short range, so you don't have to worry about, you know, ballistic coefficients or anything like that. It's just a... No, BC is not important, and very often uh, lower BC works well. Rod nose, for example, bullets all old construction uh, with lower velocity works fantastically well. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's totally different than what we do when we go for long range hunts. Right. Um, so that's read, uh, yeah. So, so I, I was gonna, that was a good opportunity to segue into that because the other one that I'm really interested in that I saw on your website is the mouflon sheep. And obviously any type of mountain hunting is, yeah. is, is very exciting. It's very, uh, it's a really aspirational thing to go on a mountain hunt. Um, it is. So you run these, these sort of mountain hunts year round or is there a season for it? Um, all year round, for Mufon all year round, for example, and then you have uh, Shama also requires a long range shot. Yeah. Um, but yep. we hunt Shama between, uh, in Croatia between October and 1st of February, in Slovenia, in the Alps between August and um, 1st of January. Right. Okay, so winter, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but sheep, sheep or goat hunt is very, very demanding, uh, very often mentally and physically, because uh, to get into position or to get a chance, you have to work yes. really hard yeah. to get that. And then once when you are there and your heart rate is so high and your pulse is really difficult to, to lower and to stay mm. calm, that long range accurate shot sometimes is really really challenging mentally so how uh, it's, it's really cool. how, how how what's what's the range how far how far is the shot oh my god i mean very often i don't like speaking about range publicly but okay that's we don't have to yeah. <laughs> no 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 because people you know they they always think uh, they always uh 
talking about what is ethically correct or incorrect. Yeah. Yeah. And to be all honest, I mean, correct is where you feel comfortable that you will kill something or hit something with 100% that you're 100% sure in what you are doing. Yes. So for some people, that is the range is maximum 200, but on sheep and goat hunts, very often uh, shots go beyond 300, or even beyond 600 meters. Right. Yeah, and that's why you need fantastic equipment, the best ammunition you can find for your gun. Yes. And yeah. uh, the most important, you need to practice. Okay. So there are few ranges in UK, which is good for UK, Britain. I mean, it's, it's fantastic. They can go to Wales um, or up north in England. But there are few ranges where they can practice up to almost two miles. Right. Yeah. So, so that, that is good. I always demand from my hunters on sheep and goat, uh, especially if they go after Ibex or Marco Polo in uh, mid-Asia. Um, I, I send them to, to, to practice, to learn about their equipment, what they are using, and to be confident that they know at any time if they are good enough to pull the trigger. So in terms of that, and I, I, that obviously makes a lot of sense because, you know, you get somebody up on a mountain, if they haven't used the rifle or they're not familiar with it, and then they get that... Exactly. You know the target in their sights, and then their heart starts pounding, and maybe the wind is changing, and you know, it, yeah. you can you can tell it, it could all go wrong so fast. Um, exactly that. How how is there like a set amount of training you like people to do? Like they have to put two hundred rounds through that rifle, or they have to spend so many hours at it, or how do you gauge it? It's quite an individual thing because for some some guys it's enough to fire like 20 shots uh, with the instructor and they learn so quickly what to do. Mm. Some people they need more because they don't feel confident or they're not listening to instructor and the, the, the worst one is when they have attitude that they know everything. Yeah. I mean, we can know theoretically everything perfectly, but once when you're in the field and you have wind to cope with altitude, pressure, and so on, temperature, anything uh, matters. So all the parameters are really important, especially if you should be beyond 350 meters. So you want to be prepared for it. You yeah. wanna you want to learn how to use your ballistic calculator, your range finder, your target on the scope. Mm. So it's it's really really important. And I I like when my hunters when they go they train they try and they say Tomo, listen, I feel confident and ready to go. And once when they come when they arrive, uh, we take them to some uh, areas so they can try shots up 300 meters because if their calculator and themselves, if they work really well up to 300, they, it's a really good chance that they will do uh, really good shots at 500 as well. Right. So you, you, you sit them down and you see how they fire and see how they shoot before you go out yeah. just to make sure. 
exactly because the thing is when you are in a position to shoot something and you spend so much time to train time to travel and lots of money for it yeah then you feel the pressure okay i went there i have the chance maybe it's my first and last chance yeah i want to take it and if you are unprepared your confidence is really low and very often it leads to uh, bad shots and very often misses. Yes. So to avoid that, you want to prepare yourself as much as you can. When you come there, I put pressure on my, my hunters. I say, okay, you have to, I range something. And I say, okay, please range that rock and hit it. And it could be like 400, 500 meters. And if they hit it, you know they're they're ready. Sometimes they need one or two shots because they have to optimize themselves and so on. And there is a pressure. You have yeah. few guys looking at them, but uh, after that, everything is much easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. We've had two instructors on the podcast separately. Both of them have said, um, in fact, we've had three, and all three have said. Uh, there is this different pressure when you know someone is looking or oh know, yeah yeah and and people who seem to have it all together can fall apart so quickly um you know, that's so true yeah so clearly you've got to you've got to get a few shots out of the way so if i yeah, so if someone is going yeah. so sorry sorry tom i go on i cut you off no no sometimes it happens that they miss and the the chance is still there the animal is still standing and you have like few seconds to pull another shot and yeah. this is where yeah. you can see the difference between guys who are mentally ready and those who are not yeah. uh, you can't blame anybody because it's something new for most of the guys new species new environment and so on um, but you try to stay uh, cool and just pull another trigger um yeah it's 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 not it's it's not easy it takes a certain way oh yeah Hmm. yeah sorry sorry we're overlapping there's a slight delay so i'm jumping in a bit early my apologies um uh, i was just going to say that so when you when they when they take that first shot and then they miss What's the window for taking another shot? Is it a couple of seconds or is it less than that? Uh, normally you have, it depends. Uh, sometimes th- there is not enough. Maybe you have like two, three seconds. That is not enough. Yeah. But it can yeah. happen that you have like 10, 20, 30 seconds. Because sometimes you miss and the animal moves another 50 or 100 meters and then it stops to check what has happened mm-hmm. because also sometimes they think something went wrong and they're not sure yeah. you use that time basically to prepare for the second shot okay so you you would rearrange the animal or you just take a guess and say i think he's moved you know 20 20 foot back or, or sorry 20 yards back or you know 50 yeah. yards back or closer would you do another wing call? Uh, yes, you do. Uh, however, 
people on the wind is quite individual. They know their ballistics and very often uh, they approximately um, take off uh, their shot to get uh, to, to hit it well. Yeah. So they don't uh, dial up. They yeah. just take, okay, approximately I should, if I, for example, my wind is from the right and it will push my bullet left for, I don't know, 10 inches, then mm -hmm. you go 10 inches in the, into the right and you fire shot. Yeah, you just hold so it. Exactly, you hold over and uh, hold on the side you aim for the guts and you hit the shoulder. Fantastic. That's yeah. brilliant. Yeah. But for that, you need to practice and play with your rifle ammunition and so on to learn about that. Yes. Yes, I can see that. Definitely. Um, I was having a discussion with a guy, Kalen, on the previous episode who does a combination uh -huh. of, he, he does mountain hunting, but he also does, um, PRS competition shooting in America. Um, wow. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool, man. Yeah. Awesome competitions and a real mix of stuff. But one of the, one of the things that was so obviously different between the two is a um, PRS competition rifle is very heavy and a mountain hunting rifle is generally very light. Um, yeah. So people are training like he's seeing people come into the come into his courses and they've been training with their competition rifle where there's no recoil where they can see the trace of the bullet they can see where it's splashing yeah um and so they're able to you know process all of that feedback all that data to make a very accurate second third fourth shot yeah and then then they get on the lightweight hunting rifle and it kicks and they lose sight picture and they can't track the bullet Yes, uh, and it leaves them unprepared. I think for that, uh, uh, for that, for that type of shooting environment, for that mountain hunting shooting. But do you do you see the same thing with customers coming from the UK and from the EU, where they're training with a different uh, gun and then struggling with their hunting rifle? It happened on a few occasions, but every time I require from my hunters to train with the rifle that they are going to use for the hunt. Right. So you, you tell them a little bit more about the hunt, recommended their equipment and so on, and they consider and they adjust for themselves and so on. And they, this is great if they train with that rifle. Yeah. The worst thing is when yeah. they when they use like uh, almost venturous heavy rifles, Yeah. Where everything is, I mean, the whole conditions are perfect, most perfect, uh, at least predictable. Yeah, everything's and controlled. It's to, exactly, exactly. You know the range, you have plenty of time, you pull the trigger, you hit it really well. That's fantastic. But mm. when you hunt, it doesn't happen like that. You never yeah. know what is going to be the range, angle, wind, and also hunting rifle kicks. So in many countries, sound moderators are not allowed to be used. So you can use muzzle brake mm -hmm. or nothing. So you, you you have to cope with the recoil. If you have muzzle brake, anything can be tamed uh, that you are comfortable when you shoot or when you need to fire a second shot. 
but if there is no muscle break, uh, some people are just scared of scared of using their own rifle. You can see that they are tense and they expect that kick in the shoulder. Yeah, and they pull the trigger um, or twitch with the, with the eye, and of course it, it leads to bad hit or miss. Mm. What do you recommend for those people? For those people, okay, go on the range, uh, go with the instructor that is good, that can read your uh, things where you fail. Mm. If you are not pulling the trigger correctly, if you are not setting up your shoulder, elbows, and so on, they can help you so much. In short period of time, you learn so quickly, so much that you feel much confident. Also for the recall, you have to go with muzzle brake or with, uh, with uh, suppressor or sound moderator. Yes. Normally yeah. I use sound moderator, I mean um, muzzle brake because I like the balance of the rifle. So I don't mind the noise. Um, you can use, um, I don't know, ear defenders or whatever, but uh, if you have sometimes moderator, is your rifle is not balanced, it's too too long, and it's not easy or nice to carry it around. Yeah. So I prefer my rate. That's interesting. So if you were going on a mountain hunt, actually we could do that now. So if you, if you're, what gear should somebody, what, what gear do people need when they go on a mountain hunt with you? Huh, what they need, it's First is clothing. They they have to be comfortable during the hunt as much as they can be. So you don't go for the cheap clothing. You go for, not for the most expensive. You have to go for the brand that is proven in the mountains that your, I don't know, friends or people who did before you use the same or similar that's when you exchange your information, experiences, and so on. Yeah. It's so valuable and it helps a lot. So you want to be comfortable, prepared for any weather, um, and you don't want to go cheap on the clothes. You go for what makes you comfortable. Um, yeah. So you use more common sense than anything else. Also, footwear, it's very, very important. Okay. Um, Yes, you, you don't want to use desert leather boots somewhere in mid-Asia or in, in Alaska or anywhere in mountains because you can have lots of snow or rain, whatever, and you don't want your feet to be wet. So you go for something which is made for it. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. I use few brands. Exactly. I have at least six or seven brands and they're all in a way good. Uh, for certain type of stones or rocks, some are better than the others, but overall they're all great for mountain hunts. Right. But for Africa, for example, mm, they would be or too warm or too heavy. Yeah, there is no oh, okay. need for it. Okay. Yeah. So that makes sense. So they've got to have good clothing, I guess, it's, and they've got to be waterproof, but you've just said it could rain quite heavily in the mountains, so you've got to be prepared for that, changing weather. What sort of uh, rifle setup then do you want people to bring uh, for different? Okay, 
yeah, I mean, people are different and they have different desires, wishes, but they should use something that they feel comfortable with, that they know inside out. So if they are not renting my rifles, the best thing is basically, the best thing always is take your gun and learn it. Yes. If you don't, you are using mine and I test them in all sorts of, at all sorts of distances and so on, so I can show you in, a, in, a, in an hour what to do and how to use it. So I prefer when they use their own rifles, um, light or heavy, not heavy, but if it's too light, I have, for example, a rifle that is really, really light. And when you put the scope on it, every wind from the side you feel it your rifle becomes like a sail on a boat right okay yeah so the the wind is pushing you and you you can't keep calm your crosshair and it's frustrating uh, if it's too light yeah if it's too heavy then it it makes you so tired and annoying uh when you carry it around your on your shoulders in, in the mountains it has to be something in between. But lots okay. of people, they, okay. they, they go for the first time on the mountain hunt. They go or for the heaviest or for the lightest rifle that <laughs> yep. they didn't use up. Normally, I mean, my setup, I have few setups. Okay. One of the okay. most common setups for me is Blazer R8 uh, Success or Blazer R8 with GRS. Okay. And it covers everything in the mountain. Um, I've tried all of them at long distances, um, at ranges in the UK with Andrew Venables or Richard Atting, uh, also oh, yeah. with Craig Hood from Year One. Yeah, so, Craig, uh, CEO. So yeah. yeah, yeah, CEO of Year One, famous Craig. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and also. You want so you want a really good rifle that it will it will work in all sorts of conditions. No matter if it's snow and too cold or rainy, it has to be reliable. First of all, it has to be accurate. You don't want to uh, use good scope on cheap mounts. This is where people go wrong, and then they save money. Okay, I bought expensive rifle. I don't have enough money now for the scope, so I will buy something mediocre. Yeah. Okay, it can work, and very often it works for some certain period of time and so on. And then they save money on the mounts, and yeah. that can go wrong, especially in the mountains, because you fell over, and sometimes on a horseback, your rifle is hitting the saddle all the time, every single step. Yeah. It hits your saddle. You don't even know that. But once when you fire the shot and you see, oh my God, my, my zero shifted. Yeah. And you think, but I didn't, I didn't hit any rock or anything. No, mm -hmm. because your rifle was hitting the saddle all the time. And that is one of the things. So sometimes it's better to go with a cheap rifle, like for example, Mauser M12. Fantastic rifle. It gives you everything you want or sour. 100 
cheap rifles, but they are very, very accurate. Lots of potential there. You put the best scope you can afford and the mount. Okay, so the optic is really important uh, along with the mounts. It is, it is, because you want to have the best quality picture you can have. Okay. You want, uh, because mounting huts are during the daylight, and people okay. are always focused okay. on, uh, on um, twilight factor and so on, but very often all you need is just the most reliable uh, dial-up system, the most reliable turrets. Okay. Because if you hit the scope and it shifts the zero immediately, as soon as you hit something, oh my God, it moved. You, your crosshair moved. Right. I mean, you don't want to take that to to the mountains. So I normally what I use. There are a few brands, but the the one I'm using mostly is Schmidt Bender. Yeah. TMs, which is military line or Polar T96. Um, in the past, I've tried Swarovski, Saif, uh, Night Force as well, very popular. Yep. Uh, or ZP um, made by Minox. It was military range, fantastic scope. I mean, yep. they're heavier, they're heavier, but they work. That's yeah. what you want. And then you need other things like accessories, like tripods or bipods. Normally, you need bipods because. Okay. You lay down on your belly, you have plenty of time to range, set up everything because your animal, you, I, I don't know, it's three, four, five hundred meters away and at that distance, lots of animals, they, they, they observe the hunter because they are curious and okay. they feel safe, safe because the distance is there. Yeah. So they give you enough time to prepare yourself. Okay, it's not limitless but it can last from one minute to half an hour. You have plenty of time. Sometimes you're not noticed and you have even more time to play with your kestrel and uh, I don't know, find your wind call and everything else. But yeah, I mean, you need really good bipod. Bipod that will work every time you use it and uh, that your zero won't shift just because your bipod is wobbly or whatever. Mm. So this is where I use, I mean, amongst the others, my favorite is uh, Tier 1 Evolution. Yes, the Underslum bipod. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's fantastic. I've been using it now for two years uh, since first prototype came out. And uh, I've tried it on three different continents as far as I can remember. And it never let me down. It, it can take some abusing, that's for sure. Yeah. It's light as well. So it's better to have a lighter rifle with heavier scope and uh, light bipods than having really heavy rifle, uh, mediocre scope, and uh, heavy or, I don't know, not advanced enough bipods. So you're looking for a scope that not necessarily is great in fading light. So you're not looking for like necessarily the best light transfer you're just looking for the clearest glass and reliable I mean, turrets thing, yes the thing is all european scopes swarovski Tsai, schmidt bender they have great great um great picture in fading light okay 
Okay. They, okay. Mostly they use the same glass, just different um, um, internals, yeah. Different internals, but coating, yeah, coating is very important, what they put on the lenses. That okay. But the differences are so small, so we can ignore if it's EU product, top product, then you know, okay, the picture will be clear, it will be great. Okay. The most important thing now is you go for the internal. It has to have the best possible click mechanism. Okay. The best turret. You, you want to know, I mean, you have to be sure that your click at 100 meter will be also the same at 1000 meter. Mm. Because sometimes you make one click and it should be, for example, one centimeter difference at 100 and three centimeters at 300. Mm. But it happens that your, the value is higher than that. You fire a shot and oh my God, it went above the target or sometimes below the target. So yeah, you want to have the best. Okay, that makes sense. I can, I can understand that. And something that can take a bit of a, bit of bouncing against a saddle or, or the occasional knock as well. Oh yeah, you have to count that. It happens mm -hmm. all the time. It's unavoidable. Uh, sometimes you use uh, those neoprene uh, covers, uh, yes. which yeah. helps. But when your rifle falls down or kicks the saddle, there is a kick. And sometimes you need few kicks. Sometimes you need only one kick to move the zero. Right. Um, this is where I went with Schmidt Bender because it can take so much abusement. There are a few other scopes or brands that they can cope with, like Nightforce, but my favorite is uh, Schmidt when it comes to that point. Mm. I know Zeiss Conquest talk about, you know, being really tough. The idea that you're supposed to be able to bounce it around um, and it retains zero. I know, I mean, uh, listen, every brand tells to people, our products are the best. It doesn't yeah. matter if it's Leopold, Buris, if it's yeah. Thais, Swarovski, Schmidt-Bender, it doesn't matter. They all claim we are the best. Yeah. But the thing is, when you speak and when you exchange your uh, experiences with other people who, are in, who tried more than yourself or not more, but they've tried some of these tough stuff, then yeah. you have to consider what they're saying. Yeah, of course. Uh, of course. Yeah. Yeah, you've got to trust the, the word of the pros, the people who are using them every day. Yeah, that's 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 correct. So so you would take if you were going on a hunt, would you take just the one rifle or would you take a couple of setups just in case you you, you saw uh -huh. something else or how would you normally go? <laughs> I don't know. Personally when I go for myself, I always take two sides, which okay. are zeros for the rifle I'm using. Uh just because if one is going missing or I smashed it because it fell over in, in some canyon, yeah. there is another one yeah. that I'm going to use. Uh, I, I don't want to, I want to be as prepared as I can be. And yeah. this is why I yeah. take two scopes. Uh, so far I never needed second one, but also I don't want to take chance and I mean, miss my opportunities just yeah. because 
I didn't use what I had at home. I had yeah. two scopes yeah. I used. I mean, I brought with me two scopes. But very often I take two rifles. Okay. One is for myself okay. and one is for client if his rifle goes wrong or something is going wrong with his rifle and it happened on so many occasions that they had to use my rifle some of the clients they don't want to take their rifles they say Tomo listen I don't shoot long ranges and so on please can I take yours I will go on the range and learn things and try with the instructor but when I come I want to try with your rifle a few shots and this is what I want to use because if it's good to you it will be good to me and that is fine that okay. is good but, but sometimes they take rifle scope the whole setup which is not the best of quality they come to hunt and they realize oh it's not working it's not working well uh, oh on the range it was fine but yeah. yes, in, on the range, everything is controlled. It's so easy. But when you yeah. have ice, rain, and so on, it's just, uh, yeah. yeah. That can be really, really tough. Uh, last year in Kyrgyzstan, it was, um, it was late October, early November. I had uh, four clients, and two had their rifles, two decided to use mine. At the end, all four... Uh, of them, they used my two rifles because yeah. two rifles that they brought with themselves. I don't want to mention the brand. It was uh, from the U.S. <laughs> they didn't work. Oh no! <laughs> unbelievable. I mean, it was unbelievable. The rifles were good on the range and they could hit everything and so on. Yeah. But as soon as we got to ice and rain, the 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 both didn't work well uh extractors didn't work really? i mean i don't know <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's unbelievable two of them they had so much problems that they in the end uh, used what i had there at that time i had yeah blazer r8 professional success and uh, r8 with grs stocks right right the good old reliable blazer not cheap but very I good no, they're not cheap, but uh, I always call it as investment. I mean, if you are professional, you want to invest the best you can uh, for certain things. And for me, there are tools. Also, I mean, it doesn't have to be blazer. For example, I love my Sour 100. It works. It does the same thing in a different way. It's not straight pull and so on. So I'm, I'm comfortable with it. But people like that professional success and on average, uh, the... the the stock is designed, it just feels right. So okay. comfortable for most of the hunters that they just enjoy using it. Mm. Yeah, That's it's, why. it's and very popular here in the UK. Yes, but also uh, for us professionals, which is very important, um, you can set up your rifle if you have few few spare parts for the hunt you need in 30 so, for example, I have a few Blazer R8s, and I have a guy who is shorter, it needs shorter uh, uh, stock, lighter stock. I just set up my Blazer for his needs in 30 seconds, because really? it's like having Lego toy. Yeah. You're playing and you're setting up, and you know that the scope, which is zero for the barrel, wherever you put, it doesn't matter what stock you use, 
it will hold zero and it will be that on in a second. Really? If I have somebody who is really tall and so on, I use GRS stock. Right. Right. Because he can adjust everything for himself. It's unbelievable. And for me, for my job, actually, it's fantastic tool. It's fantastic tool. So, yeah. Well, That's there you go. That's it, yeah. Tried and tested in the, uh, in the mountains under pressure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes they complain, oh, can I have shorter or lighter barrel? Yes, of course. I... Okay, I won't use, I don't know, match barrel. I will put uh, semi-weight or just standard barrel. It, yeah. So well, yeah. these proof well, barrels are hugely popular now. You know, the carbon yeah, wrapped. Do you, do you find people using those? Do you use them yourself? I've been using uh, Christiansen arms, and it was probably the first one uh, or one of the first in the UK years, years ago. Yeah. And I loved it. It was based on... Uh, Browning A bolt system, and I think only two thousands were made at that time. Mm. Um, I love the rifle and so on, but to be honest, I haven't noticed huge difference except in the weight. Yes, but these days, I mean, these days you don't need to have, for example, carbon rifle to have light rifle. No, um, if you have really good standard barrel that holds zero perfectly and you hit what you aim, you need, for hunting purposes, you need one eventually second shot and that's it. If you didn't hit with the first one, very often you won't have a chance to pull the second shot. But what can happen is you, you pull the trigger, you wounded animal and now you need to send another bullet you fire the second bullet and the animal is dead or you don't have chance to pull the third one. Yeah. So your bar won't overheat. Standard mm. barrel is fine for it. Mm. But it's frustrating on the range when you shoot lots of ammunition and you're burning your part and ammunition and your bar gets so warm. Then, then you want to have match barrel or thick carbon wrapped barrel. Okay. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, so uh, this might be a silly question, but does do you have to use bolt guns on your hunts? Would are semi-autos ever allowed? Um, see, in Europe, in many countries, semi-auto rifles are allowed. You can use it for anything okay. if it's right caliber with enough energy. Yeah, uh, but yeah. normally it's limited to three rounds: two in the okay. magazine and one okay. in the chamber. Okay. Uh, that's fine. In in some countries, you can have magazine with ten rounds, but we use them. I have like few, and I use them mostly and only actually for driven boar hunts. I use them as a guide. Uh, so if something is wounded, I would just run after that animal, and I didn't have to think how many rounds I have because I had probably three rounds in the magazine or two rounds which was enough to put uh, or finish the animal yeah um, that is good but for some people it's more about okay I have plenty rounds in my magazine and I'll be so full I will have so many um, rounds to be successful but you know what happens with semi-alto 
when you use semi-auto, you think, okay, I have so many rounds, so if I don't hit or if I miss, there is another few rounds yeah. to make it right. However, normally, guys with semi-auto, they burn lots of ammunition, but their ratio of hits is just really, really low. Right. Interesting. Just because, of, yeah, you feel so relaxed. I have plenty of rounds. Mm. <laughs> so most of my misses were when I had uh, semi-auto, not because of the rifle, it was just my attitude and uh, what I was thinking at that time. Yeah, psychologically you think, I don't have to, get, exactly. I don't have to be perfect. Yeah, you don't have to be perfect, there is another, and another one, and another one, but no, it doesn't work like that. Mm. <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> no, absolutely, and if you're on one of those mountain hunts, you know, and, and you presumably you, you're trekking a long way to get to the prey, you know, get to the animal. Um, so there's all that lead up to it. Then there's finally an opportunity. You don't want to blow it yeah. just because you, you know, you're not psychologically tuned in for that first shot accuracy. Exactly that. So always make sure whatever you are using, that first shot counts. Mm. That is the most important thing. Otherwise, it could be a mess. Have you had many hunts go wrong in the past? In the past, I had a few, uh, mostly on driven board and mostly because of the weather. Right. On on Shama and Mouflon, I had few. <laughs> it didn't. It didn't go as I wanted on the first day but the, all the hunts were successful however you prepare terrain and you think okay you you know basically okay it's likely that we will have chance on the first outing in the first two hours because we will go to that area and i know that there will be an animal suitable for the client yeah you go there and there is nothing <laughs> mostly because of the large predators they were in they scared them off, and yeah. there is nothing. And then, if you are a good guy, or you have a great team of people working on the ground, you have, of course, plan B, C, and D. Yeah. You know, okay, I didn't find them here. Now it's likely that they will go to this area. So if I don't get them on before dusk, then I'll go next morning to this area and I will find them. So it's with goats and sheep, it's, the areas are more predictable. And if you spend enough time on the ground, you will give to your client chance, that's for sure. I right. didn't have anybody without few chances so far. Right. So, and then it's down to them, then it's down to the client. To have done that training. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Sometimes, I mean, the thing is, you put them in perfect, I mean, there is nothing perfect, but almost perfect position. Okay, I'm there. The animal didn't see me. It's like three, four hundred meters away. All I need is to range, dial up, and keep still. Yeah. But the thing is, you do everything right, but your client is shivering because he has like, Black fever, whatever it's called. Yeah. And he yeah. can't stop his adrenaline. Oh my God, there is a species I was dreaming of. 
and now I have chance and my God, I, I'm stressed <laughs> or too excited. <laughs> I can and imagine that is frustrating. it. <laughs> that is so frustrating because you see, oh my God, that animal saw us now and it will give me like another 30, 40 seconds and it will go off. But if you push your client, it's really likely that he will have a miss. He will yeah. have a go, but he will miss. So you don't want to say anything um, and you try, okay, keep calm, you'll have time and so on. And you, inside you're thinking, you're thinking, oh my God, just just hold still just for four seconds, put that crosshair on the right place yeah. and pull the trigger because you dialed up everything, you should be fine. Yeah. But it's, I mean, we are all different and uh, that is one of the things that you can't, you can't predict even guys who are very very experienced all of a sudden there is another species for the first time in their life and i say oh my god i'm just too excited mm. yeah and the more <laughs> more experienced ones the, uh, they they recuperate themselves and okay now i'm ready they took them like 10 30 seconds and they are ready to go yeah. some of them are very experienced they will say listen I'm just not ready, and if I lose this opportunity, it's my fault. Don't worry. I just don't feel ready. I don't want to pull the trigger and uh, make a mess. Really? And then you have novice guns that they are okay. Uh, it's not perfect, but I'll pull the trigger. So whatever happens, happens. Yeah. That goes in their hand, uh, heads, and they tell you normally or admit after they pull the trigger. <laughs> yeah. Then it was a fifty-fifty. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, but you can't see that because you're not right. behind the scope, so you right. don't know what their crosshair is doing. That's a good Sometimes point. That's a, yeah. That's a, yeah, as as the because you're kind of an instructor as well as the guide. You know, you're instructing people in that particular environment. Are you? If yes. you're seeing somebody missing, are you? Is it easy for you to see what they've done wrong and correct it, or do you sometimes you just can't? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Very often, what they do is. They just pull their trigger so hard okay so they, they should be low lower than they aimed and to the side normally right hand guys they pull the, the, the rifle to the right yeah. and their bullet is striking more right and lower that is so so common you wouldn't believe or okay. um, they don't use uh, good quality uh, bipods they put uh, they bought something chinese made in china yeah i don't know brand no name and it's very cheap it's 20 30 quid yeah they put on a, on a hard surface and my god the 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 the, 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 the rifle is jumping so high that they're shooting higher yeah and you say but you use it on on the on the range Oh yeah, I was in Wales and it was nice and um, the, the, the surface was grass or mud. It's different. Yeah. So you have to try what you have in all sorts of conditions, right. I would say. Yeah, I had fire, a strong hunter, which was so unpredictable with, uh, with uh, one of the brands. Uh, my God, if, if you put on the grass, everything was fine. If I put on the rocks, 
the bullets would be all over the places. Really? It, Just because it bounced? Oh my God, the set, yeah, the setup was so, so bad. So very often I use that and many other rifles before I move to the, some of the best bipods on the market. Yeah. Um, I, I was using rather backpacks. Because right. I never knew how the rifle is going to react. Sometimes you have sharp rocks, sometimes it's smooth rocks, sometimes you have sand, grass, mud. Oh my God, it's, it's just, oh. Do you take a bag as well? Like a shooting bag? Like like a rear bag or even or anything no, else? No, I don't. I, I save all on space in my rucksack and backpack. So I use just necessary things. Uh, yeah. I don't use rear bag. Uh, normally, I lean my rifle on on a bipod, or I use backpacks to put my rifle on. Right. Then uh, I'm focused on on the on the stock in my shoulder, and for that I'm using whatever I can find. Uh, sometimes it's rocks, just sometimes it's just a fist, just to to, to keep my rifle steady. Yeah. So okay. no rear bags. No, no. Do you find people bring those a lot, or, or is it? Do you, do you give them a? Do you give people a list, like a checklist, before they come on a hunt, or do you let them kind of just bring their own gear? Oh yes, uh, I mean they tell me, and it does, for example, the same species, but if you hunt in the summer, you need different clothing and different range of equipment. Yeah. Then when yeah. you go and hunt in the winter. So of course you give them guidance, guidelines, and um, you tell them, okay, this should work, this should be good for you, and then they tell you, okay, I can't find this brand, is this good? And then, okay, I use quite a few brands so I can roughly know what it works. Um, but some of the brands they can cover any aspect, any hunt in this world. Yeah, uh, they have all sorts of the whole range, whatever you need. Yeah. So then it's much, much easier. Yeah. So you've obviously done, like over the years, you've obviously done a lot of hunts. You've obviously been on a lot of uh, very special hunts. What was your favorite or, or the, the one you enjoyed the most or the most spectacular hunt you've ever been on? Uh, it's it's really def difficult to say because I don't remember mountain hunt which wasn't packed with an adrenaline yeah. and it wasn't adventurous yeah. enough that I wouldn't enjoy. Cool. So it, it's it's really difficult to say and I don't know but the most memorable hunts mountain hunts were definitely in mid Asia, really in high altitude. Oh yes, because the thing is. You go there and you live rough. You, yeah. you use horses and so on, and every step in is is an adventure right. in itself. Every step, because it can be uh, fatal, <laughs> or it brings you closer to the animal. <laughs> you never know, but every step counts. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If I have to say, okay. The most memorable, yeah, definitely mid-Asian uh, nice. hunts on Ibex or Marco Polo. Right, right, very cool. Uh, that's, uh, I think I've seen some pictures of, of a 
of a hunt you did with our CEO Craig in mid-Asia, Kyrgyzstan, I think, and you hunted tur. Is that right? Am I saying that right? See, uh, for tur, yeah, I organized that hunt, and I was supposed to be there with Craig. However, uh, I had the shoulder injury. Oh, you didn't uh, go on that one. Days earlier, so I couldn't go on that one. Right. Uh, all three guys, including Craig, they had an amazing hunt. Yeah. It was physically the most de demanding hunt as we expected. That's why we wanted to go to right. on Dagestan tour. Right. Um, however, I, I missed that one and I can't wait uh, for the opportunity to go and do it uh, yeah. myself, probably yeah. with Craig again. Um, it's great to hunt with him because he's one of the guys that he doesn't care what is tomorrow, what the weather brings. He is ready for anything. I mean, he, uh, this is what you need. Yeah, yeah, he is just ready. I mean, he really doesn't care. And he could have an open mind. Very often, totally. I mean, he says always before the hunt, listen, I don't care what happens, happens. I'm here for an adventure and yeah. I'm going to get that. Yeah. If I don't shoot something, that's fine. It's hunting. And it's much, much easier uh, to work with clients or friends uh, yeah. who are like that yeah because they are they are not stressed they don't put pressure on themselves oh my trophy has to be the biggest yeah or i want to achieve this and this if you just go for hunting and whatever comes you're ready it's much easier and very often uh, if not every time you are rewarded you get chances yeah. and yeah. you get what you want yeah so there's an element there of of psychology because you're not loading yourself up with expectation and anxiety oh, totally. yeah yes i mean lots of hunters they can cope with two to three days without having a chance to shoot yeah or to see an animal they are after but after that psychologically they are going down yeah because they're getting more and more tired um they put much more pressure on themselves. Oh my God, uh, the end of hunt is coming and it's almost there and yeah. I didn't have a chance and so on. And when you put so much pressure on yourself, I mean, you get the chance and, and you, you miss it or you make a mess, then you're so down. I had, uh, I will never forget, I had the Navy steel guy, fantastic shooter, great guy. Yeah. And he missed on the first, second, and third occasion Mouflon in Croatia. Oh, really? And he said to us, guys, I'm jinxed. I don't know, but whatever I wanted to shoot so far in my life on, or on duty, I got it. Yeah. I don't know what's going on with Mouflons because the <laughs> rifle is fine, scope is fine, it's all about me. And right. I said, but why? And he said, listen, I always dreamt hunting Mouflon on Croatian coast. Really? Finally, I'm here and I see Mouflon and he says, maybe I don't notice that I'm too excited, but I am bloody excited. Yeah. And probably this is why. Right. And he was so down on the third miss. And I said, listen, do you want to try the rifle again? And he said, I know your rifle is perfect. I tried it yesterday. Everything was fine. It's just me. Right. So we left him in the evening to 
he said, I, I would like to have just peace and quiet for my on my own. Yeah. So he went in the bay um, on the beach. He sat there for two hours, having a beer, you know, chilling out. Yeah. And in the evening, he came back and he said, guys, I'm ready. Let's go. Tomorrow is my birthday. I want to get my animal. And if there is a chance, I will get it. And it happened just like that. It was far, far away. He dialed up. He did everything right, like in previous, <laughs> when he had previous chances. But yeah. this time, mentally, he was ready. Right. And he shot it perfectly. And he said, listen, I'm professional and I was missing. And it's, it was very difficult to admit it's my fault. Right. But yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. But it's all psychological. That's really interesting. Really interesting. Especially for a Navy SEAL, but like as he's described himself, as he's a professional. Yeah. Yeah. He is a professional, very fit. So he needs only a few seconds to set up the shot. Yeah. Fantastic guy. And yeah. he was also experienced hunt, hunter in the US where he was hunting. Right. But this was something that he dreamt of when he was since he was a ch child. Yeah. And he said, Now I'm here. I try half of the world to get here to hunt and I'm a mess in my head <laughs> what's going on and I asked him are you like that when you go on your duties he said oh no 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 I'm so sharp yeah. otherwise I wouldn't last for long <laughs> and he proved on, on, on the targets but he said normally my targets are different but this is Buffalo it's something different and yeah it, yeah. it was funny. It, it was a great experience for all of us, actually, because every time with clients, you can learn something new. Yes. They're all different course. profiles and different people, and we all have weaknesses. So it, it's good. You learn a yeah. lot from a client. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And to see a professional um, deal, deal with the failure in that way, not to blame the gear, you know, not to find an excuse but yeah. to say you know this is me i'm i'm doing this wrong i've got to go and get my head straight and come back and do it exactly again. and it it happens it can happen at any time to anyone yeah you never know yeah. because it's something that you can't control but when it happens it happens and then it's uh, it's all about you how quickly you can uh get yourself ready for another shot or chance yeah that's the thing, isn't it? There is, it, it's occurred to me that I think for everyone, mountain hunting is really aspirational. It's something that you dream about. It's something that you don't yeah. do every day, you know, just by the nature yeah. of it. Um, and so when you exactly. get there, you're full of pressure that you've put on yourself. And, uh, you know, you probably talked to all your buddies at home and said, yeah, I'm going hunting this and I'll bring home a massive trophy and all this. And now you're loaded up with all that. Uh, anticipation and pressure yes mm. oh yeah and also I mean we are all I mean most of us hunters we are uh, romanticizing things and we are dreaming of perfect hunt or yeah. more difficult one yeah. you wanna you wanna prove something to yourself very often yes so you wanna yeah. put yourself through stress through hard work and yeah. more hard work yeah. you put in, more you appreciate the whole experience after. Yes, definitely. Yeah. 
the harder earned trophies like that's the sweetest one to win oh, oh yeah i mean very often i would speak to my uh, friends and uh, they're normally shooters they're not real hunters they like shooting animals rather than to hunt and they yeah. say are you you're traveling half of the world just for one perfect shot. I said, yeah, or just one bullet. I said, yeah, one bullet. Oh my God. If I don't pull like uh, trigger 10 times a day, I don't feel, I don't feel satisfied. Yeah. And normally that's why you have driven boar or driven yeah. peasants or grass shoots. So they have uh, not endless, but they have many opportunities to pull the yeah, trigger. Yeah, yeah. But some of them, <laughs> I had few guys who were shooters actually, uh, but they wanted to do something uh, maybe t totally unusual and unthinkable for themselves. So they they would call me, "Tomo, take us to mountains," and they go on the range. They try on the range. They come with you, and for the one perfect shot at longer distance and once when they do it they are so hooked they can't wait to go for another hunt right yeah then they realize oh i'm i'm not actually just shooter I, actually i love hunting yes yeah yeah but they don't know it until they have that until they try it that one time exactly and mm. listen it's life you enjoy it and do as much as you can more experiences the better because you never know what you might enjoy more. Yeah, if, you don't, if you're not trying stuff, know. how do you know? Exactly, mm. you won't know. And one day you will be too old to try and you will have just regrets. So when you are young and you have that uh, adventurous spirit, do crazy stuff, do mountain hunts, go around the world, chase animals, whatever, yeah. or just hike. But yeah. you will see amazing scenery, Meet different people, culture, different food, different setups. Mm. The whole thing mm. is so, um, it enriches you. Um, you become more complete person after every experience you have. Like you gain something and at the end you gain so much. New friendships. Yes. New knowledge. I mean experience. I mean you can't buy experience. You have to try yourself. So what, what, what do you have planned for yourself then to, to keep pushing those boundaries or, or an experience coming up that, that, you, that you're waiting for? Oh, there are wishes that I, I have on my, on my list, but normally everything is dictated by my wishes of my clients. <laughs> Very course. often I don't have time for myself. Yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to a few hunts quite a few hunts that I have booked in uh, mid-Asia for Ibex and Mark Polo. Um, I just love it. Every day, every single trip, every hunt was different. Right. And you learn something new or experience something new. It's, it's incredible because every time you have different clients. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it if this uh, COVID-19 doesn't mess up because at the moment, for the last five months, for example, Personally, I spent so much time on the ground with my team guys and uh, we are preparing for the hunt and so on, but uh, yeah. we couldn't have any clients, which is shame. It's yeah. shame, but it is what it is. You know, it's very uncertain time. 
so I'm hoping for autumn that uh, and winter that I'm going to make those trips with my nice. my plan. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Nice. I'm sure they will be spectacular. Yeah, that'd be awesome. It, it, oh yeah. So to wrap up then, um, Tomo, because you've been super generous with your time. Um, oh, don't and... worry. I enjoyed it. <laughs> well, I'm sure I'm sure the listeners have enjoyed it. I certainly have. I've learned a lot. I've learned a huge amount and uh, I always come away from these interviews wanting to do the thing we've talked about and uh-huh. <laughs> I really want to go mountain hunting and driven board now. Um, I, def- I know, I mean, uh, I would like to, to to show some of the hunts we have and uh, yeah, you should ask Craig because he's always ready. Every time when I call him, mate, <laughs> are you ready for this experience? Oh, oh yeah. Of course, he wouldn't tell to his wife until it's white. That's what you're gonna do. Yeah, it's unbelievable. He he tells her uh, like few hours before his flight. (laughs) 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 But he lives for adventures. But this is see, this is this is uh, what makes the difference between people and people in the industry. He's producing stuff for riflemen, for serious shooters and so on. Yeah. But himself, he's like that. Yes. He wants to try, he wants to challenge himself, his equipment, whatever he does, he wants to have a challenge. And he pushes himself. If he doesn't have time or he can't, he will find somebody and say, okay, take this piece of what I've made, try, just abuse it and tell me what you think. Yeah, and this is the best way, basically, to to produce premium quality um, gadgets, accessories, whatever. Of course, course. yeah, yeah. It's got to be it's got to be tested by people who are living it, you know, in those environments. Of course, of course. I mean, I was always wondering why Blazer is so successful, and then you go to the factory and you realize that every single person there is a hunter himself. Right, right. Same, same goes, I mean, for most of German companies, it's like that they love hunting. But really? Blaser Group, everybody hunts, everybody hunts. And Brilliant. this is what I like about people. They exchange their experiences and, okay, there is a way to improve this. They go and they improve. The same goes with bipods, with mounts, with the scopes. You have to talk to people, exchange your experiences and you will get somewhere. So what what, sure. what, um, what are your words to live by, Tomo? This is how we always wrap, wrap up a, uh, an interview. What, what's your motto or your words to live by? <laughs> For me, uh, when it comes to business and hunts, I always say everything is possible because I hate when somebody in my team says, oh, I don't think this is possible. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. no, you never say that. It's possible. All we need to do is just find a way how to do it.
You've been listening to the Tier 1 Podcast. Brought to you by Tier 1, makers of the world's finest rifle accessories. Find out more at tier-1-usa.com. And tune in for more great insights on the next episode. 